1: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff and management.
0: Have you lost a loved one recently? Do you find it hard to move on with your life? There are lots of questions and a quest for a solution. Where do you start? Welcome to From Morning to Morning with your host, Rabbi Mel Glazer. Rabbi Mel and his guests are here to guide you through the different stages of grief and help you heal from your loss. You'll come away with a much better understanding of how you can move forward. Now, here's Rabbi Mel.
1: Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are. I notice that I'm on all time, day and night, and so you can listen to me whenever you want. I think that's pretty cool. Um, we're going to talk about one of the saddest parts of, of grief and mourning tonight, uh, and that is suicide. And I'll tell you why. Because on um, Friday night, a, a man who used to be a member of my conversion class, he and his wife were born Christian, and they were uh, converting to become Jewish, but they began, he began to have some addiction problems and he became a drug addict. And so they stopped coming for a while, for about a year. And then last, uh, two Friday nights ago, he either committed suicide or accidentally killed himself with an overdose of heroin. It, it was especially sad because there were two kids involved I think there were six and four, and they're the ones who found their father's body in the house um, with all the stuff that you use when you drug up and all that. Since I never did that, I don't know about needles and things like that. And the husband and wife were going through a divorce because she had decided months ago she could not live with him like he was and that her kids could not live like that anymore. So we got all kinds of problems here. Not only was their marriage disintegrating and ending, but then he died of an overdose of drugs. I think he was suicide. I think he had enough. Maybe it was and maybe it wasn't, but I'm going to talk about suicide tonight anyway. So I feel bad for her. She has these two griefs to shoulder. The grief of the disappearing marriage and the grief of the sudden death of her husband, her former husband. And so I officiated the funeral because he was my student, and his family asked me if a minister could co-officiate at the funeral with me. And I agreed because he wasn't Jewish yet, and so therefore I had no problems with that. It was such an interesting funeral for me. It was the first one I've ever done with a minister. And the minister gave a classical eulogy and spoke about the memories and stories and and how good this person was. Because the purpose of the eulogy is to comfort the mourners. The mourners are really the objects or the subjects of the eulogy. Uh the poor guy who was dead wouldn't know one way or the other. So the ministers, so our job as clergy was to try to comfort the mourners. So he did the best he could. He told stories and all that. You've all been to funerals like that. What happened is, I'll give you the secret. You see, it used to be that we rabbis and priests and ministers and imams would go over to the house the night before the funeral or the day before, and we would talk to the relatives who were there, and we'd come with a pen and a pad of paper, and we would copy down all the stories and all his hobbies and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. And then we would go home and we would write out verbatim what they said. And then we would tie a nice bow around it, either using uh, Jesus, or God, or Allah, or universe, or spirit, or whomever you think you you worship. And they were supposed to comfort the, the, the mourners. And there were about 150 people present. So the whole time that he was talking, and I had insisted that he go first, I was thinking to myself, well, what am I gonna say? Because after he said all that, I'm gonna tell him that this poor guy who's no longer with us, had rejected his Christian upbringing and was going to become Jewish. And I didn't want to offend them, but I didn't want to not tell the truth either. That would not be honoring the dead. So I decided, being shy, reserved, and quiet, as anybody who knows me knows, that's not true at all, decided I was going to tell the truth. So I told the truth. I said he and his wife were in my class and they were going to be Jewish and and, uh, he didn't believe in Jesus anymore as the Son of God. And then I talked about grief and how you say goodbye and Many of the things that you've heard me say over the past six or seven months, I talked about what they need to do. You come back to the cemetery, you forgive him for whatever you need to forgive him for, you apologize to him for whatever you need to apologize for, you thank him, you tell him you love him, and you say goodbye. And then, so... Uh, Then we began to put some earth on the the coffin, which is Jewish tradition. And even though I was the only Jew there, there were 25 or 30 members of his family and friends who also did that. It was very moving, and I was happy for them and for him that they did that. So the question tonight is, what do you do about suicide? It's not like, you know, somebody's got Alzheimer's and, and they're dying for three months or three years. And they don't recognize anybody and they steadily go downhill. Suicide is sudden. There's nothing you can do about it. And the worst part of suicide is that you start to blame. That's what happens. Somebody commits suicide, friends and relatives start to blame. And they blame anybody and everybody. Uh, why didn't you know? Why didn't you see it? Why didn't you take him to the hospital when he was getting worse? Why, why, why? And then, of course, why did God let this person do that? Why does God who we believe is a good, loving God, why does God allow this? And if you believe that God is in control of the world, why does God let this happen? So I spoke to the wife yesterday and today, and we talked a lot about forgiveness because the secret of grieving for a suicide is that not only are you sad, but you are angry. She's very angry with him. How could you do this to me? You're leaving me all alone. What about the kids? You're not going to see them grow up. And how do I explain to the kids what you did? And how do I keep them from being afraid the rest of their lives? Because daddy did what he did. Well, the kids were old enough to know that he was ill. So the wife was angry at him. And I don't blame her. And those of you who have been part of a family where a family member has committed suicide, you get angry. And you know that's a secret because you're not supposed to say it. And the relatives are not supposed to say it because it's considered in bad taste. How can you be angry at somebody who just died? Well, folks, you can. He died and look what he left. He left chaos. He left a family fatherless. Uh, he's not supporting anybody anymore financially, emotionally, or any other way. And so it's normal to be angry. So I was talking to the wife about it um, just this afternoon. And I said to her, you have to forgive him. That forgiveness is the most important part of the whole grief process. It's the first thing you have to do. You have to forgive him. Forgiveness. So that you will have peace of mind and so that you can let him go so that you can lay him gently down. What I did not say was, but I will, is that grief, I've said this before, and you've heard me say it lots of times, grief is letting him die. Not keeping him alive, emotionally, but letting him die. And the most important way to do that is to forgive him. And she had a lot to forgive him for. So what is forgiveness? Um, You know, some people say it's an action. It's not an action. Or an attitude. It's not an attitude. Forgiveness is really a process. It doesn't happen today or tomorrow. It takes time. Surveys tell us that most people are resilient, and by the end of two years, they usually can recover from a death. Suicide is different uh, because the memories keep coming back, and the anger will always be there. And so, for example, it's harder when your spouse commits suicide to remarry because you're still carrying this heavy baggage uh, to your second or third marriage. And you have to find a way to put it down. Remember that forgiveness is for you, not for them. Forgiveness is for you, not for them. And if you do not forgive them, it's like, here's my favorite metaphor. Drinking the poison and hoping they will die. If you're so angry with them, you, 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 know, you hope they will die, but he's already dead. So there's not anything she can do about it. But forgiveness, that's really what it means. And most people are, are angry for a long time. And you can't forget to forgive yourself for being angry. It wasn't your fault. Suicide is not your fault. Um, only if a bus hits you is it somebody's fault. If a car hits you, it's somebody's fault. If a suicide bomber blows you to smithereens, it's somebody's fault. But otherwise, it's nobody's fault. It just happens. So you have to forgive yourself and the guilt that you carry with you. Because if you don't forgive yourself, you're going to have another loss. You're going to be unable to forgive yourself, which means you're going to be unable to live with yourself and lead a happy life in the future. That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is that he died from an overdose, drug addiction. I believe that beneath addiction is unintended grief. Why do you become an addict? Because you are reliving the grief that you suffered at the death of somebody that you loved or somebody that you didn't love. It really doesn't matter. And one of the ways that you deal with that grief is to try to make yourself feel better. You know, there are lots of ways to make yourself feel better. You can eat too much. You can not eat at all. You can starve yourself. You can try to have sex with as many people as you possibly can. You can take drugs as much as you want. There are lots of ways that these are false healing actions, but most people that you and I know are susceptible to those kind of actions because we want to feel better. And we feel bad enough and angry enough sometimes, in addition to being sad, we're angry. And so... But we have to understand, and this is compassion, that beneath that, that drug habit is some kind of loss and some kind of grief. I'll say it again. Beneath addiction is unintended grief. He didn't intend to become a drug addict it's not something he wanted to do it's not someone he wanted to become it was unintended it was a reaction to some kind of grief that he never ever completed with he never said goodbye to whomever died he never forgave somebody who hurt him physically or emotionally So instead, he did things that he shouldn't have done, and he became a drug addict. And because of it, look now at what he has caused for himself and for his family. We'll be back right after the break and talk some more about suicide.
2: Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the Promised Land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back. And part of you wants to go forward That was also true of the Israelites When they were wandering in the desert with Moses They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course But they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt It was predictable and known And they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glaser's award-winning book A GPS for Grief and Healing Available at Amazon and in Kindle format Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world.
0: You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning.
1: talked about suicide this evening after a student of mine um, uh, overdosed on drugs last week and uh, we've been talking about it. I want to read you some um, part of an article from the Huffington Post that was written by a woman who's fighting herself with mental illness in part as a result of family Issues that sort of passed down that mental illness. And she was talking about suicide. And uh, she said that the main reaction that people get when they hear of a suicide is, he was a bastard. He was selfish. He only cared about himself. He didn't care about his family. He didn't care about anybody else. He just cared about himself. she writes in her blog that suicide is not selfish so these are not my words, these are her words recently there was a suicide on a railway line and the reactions on Twitter were utterly disgusting among the comments were I hope that selfish bastard who killed themselves on the Victoria line this morning is enjoying the depths of hell Or, if someone wants to kill themselves, they should do it on their own time, not when it interferes with others. Or, who decides to kill themselves on a Monday morning? Or, always in rush hour on a a Monday, selfish bastards. So then she goes on to say, I am completely in a state of shock with people's heartlessness. I thought our society valued human life, but on Twitter, people's commutes appeared far more important than this human being's life. Yes, they may have been late to work. Yes, they may have had to get off a bus or use those legs they were blessed with to walk with, but some poor train driver hit a person. Imagine how traumatizing it was for them. Police officers and paramedics had to deal with the body? I wonder how they slept that night. That person was somebody's child. Someone had lost their baby forever. They will never eat a Christmas dinner with them or hug them again. Imagine their pain. That person will have known people. They may have had siblings, friends, neighbors, or pets. The pain and loss that suicide brings is unimaginable unless you have been there yourself. And she has. That suicide is not a sign saying train delayed. That suicide is a human being just like you or me and they have had and they had feelings, emotions and memories. They had a life and they died alone, but also it was probably a painful and terrifying death. I have tried to take my life and I can hold my hands up and say it is the most terrifying, traumatizing experience i do not know how that person was feeling but i know how i have felt when suicidal i know what it's like not to be able to think of anything else i know what it's like to have a voice screaming at me to hurt myself and to not be able to hear anything else i know what it's like to fight on for months hopelessly and to go every direction imaginable searching for hope Only to be disappointed and exhausted. Suicide is not as simple as deciding not to live. And we cannot know what was going on for that individual. But I know that two words that don't go together are suicide and selfish. Suicide is heartbreaking, she says, utterly devastating and painful for all involved. It is not selfish. If someone dies from cancer or asthma, then it's not selfish. If someone travels to Switzerland for euthanasia, then it is not selfish. It is not selfish. If someone's mental illness kills them, or if someone feels unable to live their life. It is, however, selfish to assume that your commute is of greater importance than human life and suffering. We need to start speaking about suicide more. We need to make it acceptable to talk about it so that people can ask for help. Maybe if it was acceptable to talk about and wasn't met with such disgusting comments on social media, then people would at least feel able to ask for help and lives would be saved. I feel pretty desperate here. People are dying from suicide every single day And yet society lacks so much understanding around it. If you are feeling suicidal, you don't have to be ashamed and you are not selfish. But please reach out and seek help because things can improve. We can change in a minute. And that's her article about, her comments about suicide not being selfish. And I will admit that, you know, there have been times when I have learned about suicides and I have said, what a selfish action that was. Because you're not just hurting yourself, you're hurting everybody who loved you. Or you're hurting everybody who didn't love you, but, but, but was your family. And in every family function, after you commit suicide, you're gonna be the main topic of discussion. Every holiday, every wedding, every bar mitzvah, they're gonna talk about you, except they're not because you're not supposed to talk about people who commit suicide. So I've been talking to the widow and I tried to say to her, but you know what? There's another side to suicide. You are now free. You are no longer chained to him. He's not gonna tell you how to live. He is not gonna complain about anything you do ever again. You are totally free to become whoever it is that you wish to become. If you want to stay just like you are, you have the right to stay just like you are. If you want to change, if you want to move out of town, whatever you want to do, you are now free. That's the other side of suicide. Now, she's got to decide what she wants to do. And she, as every survivor of someone who commits suicide has to decide about how much anger there's going to be and how long it's going to last and how much guilt they're going to feel for the anger that they feel and are they going to find themselves in a place in their hearts where they can feel free to continue to live because the secret is they didn't die she didn't die he died she didn't So you understand what I'm trying to say? Yes, it's terrible. It's just terrible. But she's still around. She still lives. She could get remarried or not. I don't know what's going to happen. She doesn't know what's going to happen either. Let me talk some more about coping with suicide. What do you do? What do you say? At the funeral, there were 125 people. Every single one of them knew that he was a drug addict. Everybody there knew he was a drug addict. And during the minister's eulogy, I kept wondering, how can he say all these wonderful things about this person who, yes, was Sometimes happy, but at the end was so sad that he took his own life. How do you deal with that? Suicide can be one of the hardest losses you'll ever deal with. In the aftermath of suicide, there are some key points to think about. First, your loved one who committed suicide was not bad. Not bad. His he or her soul was in tremendous pain. For reasons beyond your knowing, that soul chose to leave this world. You know, according to Jewish law, if you commit suicide, you're not allowed to be buried in a Jewish cemetery. That's the law, that's the tradition. For 3,000 years, it's been our tradition. And you know what? Every rabbi ignores that tradition. Why? We sort of legislate it out of business. We say, if if you commit suicide, you are not well. If you're not well, you're sick. And so we treat you as anybody else who died. And we bury you in the Jewish cemetery if you're Jewish because you are ill. And we have compassion on you. And we don't show our anger by embarrassing your family and burying you somewhere else. No, we would never do that. And had this man been Jewish, he would have been buried in the Jewish cemetery. While you may believe that there are things you could have done and missed, you must find that place to trust that there is an all-knowing and all-loving universe that is always watching over your soul and its growth. If your thinking or beliefs tell you that a loved one's suicide was a horrible mistake, you should know that spiritually, the universe oversees all souls. The universe has never lost, forgotten, or misplaced a soul. Now, I'm not quite sure what that means, because... I don't, the God that I believe in doesn't make people kill themselves. The God that I believe in stands for life. Now, perhaps he was hurting so badly that he had no life. I get that. But, but, there's always the but. Story Derek had worked at a suicide prevention hotline. For 10 years. It was not a paid job. It was done on a volunteer basis. During the day, he was an accountant for a large accounting firm and would often get asked, how do you stand working at a suicide hotline? What do you do when you can't save someone? Derek always reply, my grandmother used to have a saying, if everyone swept in front of their own door, The world would be a cleaner place. He explained that his grandmother's words were not about being a busybody and taking care of what was in front of you. I expanded that in my own life, he said, and in my work on the hotline. I think about my interactions, my reactions, and what I'm putting out in the world as what's in front of my door. It's the only world I have control over. What someone else does or thinks is what's in front of their door. It's never my place to go over there and start messing around. You understand what he means. So people come to me for counseling in my congregation. Not a lot, but sometimes, and they say, I'm so worried about my fill-in-the-blank, husband, wife, son, daughter, you fill-in-the-blank. They're so depressed. They're just so depressed, and I'm so worried that they're going to kill themselves. And so we sit in my study, and we talk, and I try to comfort them, and then I give them the truth. I give them Derek's truth, and I say, you're not responsible you do not have control over anybody but yourself. As my daughter used to say, you don't, you're not in charge of me. Parents, we've heard our kids say that a lot, haven't we? You're not in charge of me. Fact is, I'm in charge of me, you're in charge of you, and that's the way it is. I don't want to be in charge of anybody but me. It's too hard being in charge of me. I have decisions to make. I have a life to live. So do you. And sometimes it's easier than others. There are only three areas of life. My front door, your front door, and God's front door. All I can do, says Derek, is focus on sweeping in front of my own door, being loving, respectful, and understanding. And always showing kindness and compassion to callers. What others do with that information is their business. Who lives and who dies is God's business. That's at his front door. Isn't that an interesting way to look at life? There's my door, there's your door, and there's God's door. And what's in front of your door is your business only. I've seen marriages break up, so have you, because people try to get into other people's doors. They try to walk into other people's doors and they have no right to do that. People get angry at God. It's God's door. God runs the world the way God wants to. It's not ours to judge. As Derek says, what others do with that information is their business. Who lives and who dies is God's business. That's at his front door. Well, when I read this, I I really was moved. And in a way, it's it makes life much simpler, doesn't it? So Nobody is responsible for anybody else's suicide. Nobody is responsible for anybody else becoming a drug addict. Nobody else is responsible for anybody committing a crime and becoming a felon and going to prison. Nobody else is responsible for anybody else except for themselves. Now, that's something... You know, that may be hard for you. Uh, Before a wedding, I always remind the mothers in law that the umbilical cord has to be cut at birth. And it's not still part of them. You have to let your kids go. They have their own doors now. You have yours, they have theirs, and God always has God's. We'll talk some more about suicide and how you deal with it after the break. Stick around.
0: Follow us on Twitter for more great
2: ideas at Voice America Empowerment. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back and part of you wants to go forward. That was also true of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert with Moses. They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course, but they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt. It was predictable and known, and they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glaser's award-winning book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the Promised Land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
0: It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning.
1: I'm now back. We're talking about suicide tonight. It's not a very joyful topic, but we can learn about grief a lot. The lessons are many and meaningful and painful, and yet we have to learn them. So just before the break, I was saying that I was reading a story about somebody who works at a suicide hotline, and his friends asked him the question, how can you work at a suicide hotline when you know some people on the other end of the phone are going to commit suicide, no matter what you say to them. And his response is, it's not my business. There's three doors in the world. There's my door, there's his door, your door, and there's God's door. And so all I have to do is focus on my door. It's the only door I have control over. I don't have control over your door. If you commit suicide, that is not my fault. We got to learn that lesson, my friends. It is not our fault. You know, I I remember when um, Robin Williams died. And as you may remember, Robin Williams committed suicide. And he was very, very sad. And everybody wanted to know how could such a happy guy like him commit suicide? I mean he had everything to live for. His life was perfect. You know, he was wealthy, he was happy, he fine, he and then he committed suicide. So how do we deal with that? That was only last August. I mean, August of 14. So uh, somebody suggested there are a few insights on his tragic death. One, Robin's death took suicide out of the closet. Because we were just saying we have to start talking about it. And when famous people commit suicide... So it sort of takes it out of the closet, using that metaphor in a, in a different way, maybe, and, and allows us to begin to talk about it. If we talked about it more with depressed people, then maybe they wouldn't commit suicide. Maybe they could talk about their problems, talk about their issues. Uh, Robin Williams was a genius, you know? He was on the edge all the time, and he took us on the edge, and he did that too with his death. He took us right to the edge of life, but what he did do was help break the taboo and the stigma and shame that's attached to suicide. His death made suicide part of our conversation. We should talk about it more, not less. And we can talk about suicide. And we can be very helpful to others when we talk about suicide. What else? Suicide turns out to be everywhere. The World Health Organization says every 40 seconds on average, someone dies by suicide around the globe every 40 seconds, not every hour, not every minute, but every 40 seconds. So what does that mean? There's a lot of pain in this world, but it's hard for us to talk about it. We somehow feel like if we talk about the pain in our lives, we're going to be judged and we're going to be found lacking and we're going to get blamed, and then people are going to get angry at us. Well, when Robin Williams committed suicide, he was a symbol that suicide, that people committing suicide every forty seconds. Here in my town, in Colorado Springs, we've had a rash of teenage high school suicides. Now, go figure. There are seniors in high school. Or they're graduating in high from high school. And they're getting ready to go to college. Very exciting time. But somehow they can't do it. It's too much pressure. Maybe they didn't want to go to college. Maybe they shouldn't go to college. So they couldn't take the pressure. And so they they were in pain, such pain, that they decided that the only way to end the pain was to take their own lives. We'll never know with Robin Williams because... He didn't seem to have much pain in his life, but I guess he did. I guess he did. It falls into that, you know what they used to say, that six degrees of separation phenomenon. It's more prevalent than we imagine. It's a global epidemic almost. You know people who committed suicide. Um, And you may even know why but you really don't. Well, what do you do if you want to commit suicide and then you shoot yourself with the drugs and as you're dying, you change your mind? Or you hang yourself and as you're, as you're choking to death, you change your mind. Well, you can't. Think about that. Think what happens if you change your mind while you're trying to kill yourself. I don't know how I would feel. Please, God, I'll never know. We have a need to know why. So as I said before, um, suicide is counterintuitive to life. And it leaves us wanting answers, reasons, something to make sense. Why did our wonderful Robin Williams take his life? It was unfathomable. Speculations and theories abounded. One tabloid blasted that Robin was murdered. People have a very hard time accepting suicide, and an especially difficult time when it's the suicide of one of their heroes. We wonder, wasn't our life and our adoration enough? Well, I guess not. He was in so much pain that he just couldn't deal with anymore. It was emotional. It left us stunned. Mark and Mindy, notwithstanding, Robin Williams was just like us, all too human. His celebrity status didn't make him exempt or change the fact that he had to deal with and sought help for his own stuff. We don't know what that is or was. Robin's death unearthed his struggles with long-term depression and substance abuse, each a primary factor in many suicides. He took drugs. Why did he take drugs? Why did Robin Williams, one of the happiest-seeming guys in the world, have to take drugs? Did he take drugs because he was sick and he got addicted to the painkillers? I don't know. I don't need to know. But maybe that's the way it was, or maybe it was some other reason, or maybe he was grieving some death that he could not deal with. It was the coroner's report that provided the missing piece. Robin's autopsy revealed a diffuse Louis body dementia due to his Parkinson's disease. This form of dementia with the extreme anxiety was critical in Robin's suicide. So the drugs affected his mind. And he became demented and he wasn't himself at the end. Can you imagine? Yes, you can. Because many of you out there have been in a situation of watching somebody just like Robin Williams, who took his own life and became demented. He wasn't himself at the end. Suicide is complicated. There's not just one reason for it. It's the result of cumulative stressors, dire circumstances, and traumatic events and experiences. We can never really know how everything a suicidal loved one is thinking or feeling. However, we do know that risk factors such as money, family history, mental illness, substance abuse, and violence, trauma, like PTSD, physical issues, brain injury, intractable pain, uh, extreme psychological pain, bullying, can increase suicidality. It helps to have a context, we want to know. And we're very unhappy when we don't know. Well, Sad for us, but sadder for him. Another point, Robin Williams was not a coward. The shame and secrecy taboo of suicide leads to criticism and judgment. To the newscasters who suggested otherwise, let me be clear. Suicide is not an act of cowardice. Rather, it is an act stemming from extreme, extreme pain. Suicide happens for a lot of reasons, but cowardice is not one of them. Pain of every shape and kind is the predominant catalyst. And so how do you respond to suicide? With compassion, not judgment. Compassion is the only response to suicide. So what you do is you throw your arms around the survivors and you say, I'm so, so sorry. I am so, so sorry. Dealing with suicidal grief is a hero's journey. People can be cruel unconsciously and inappropriately to those left behind. The surviving loved ones are often judged. What they didn't, what didn't they do to save him? Robin's daughter Zelda was forced to withdraw temporarily from social media because she got verbal abuse and attacks posted following her father's death. Suicide rocks family members and turns the world upside down. And in the case of Robin Williams' family, the shock and grief were played out on the world stage because that's where he lived. But healing continues. His death has made us realize that his suicide is not about, that the results of his suicide are about us. His death has increased our comfort zone so that we can now talk about suicide a little bit more freely and openly. And that discussion opens the door for more healing, understanding, and compassion. This is a gift to the planet. We learn from everything. We even learn to be compassionate when someone commits suicide. It teaches us that we must be more compassionate. We must be more loving. You don't know what's going on on the inside of of someone else. You have no idea. You We... We want to know, but we don't know. So, remember, just remember, just because they look like they're happy does not mean that they're happy. Robin Williams looked like he could have been the happiest guy living on God's planet, but he wasn't. He was multi dimensional. His art and his craft, his goodness and his caring, and the impact of his death affected all of us. He has left a permanent tattoo on many a heart, and his star continues to shine in our hearts. So even though he committed suicide, in fact, Robin Williams and everyone else who commits suicide, they still live. I want you to try to remember that. Even though they died, they still live in our hearts. We'll never forget them, we'll always remember them, and therefore, they're still alive. Try to remember that. Try to take the good from the lives of those people who committed suicide who did what you think is the worst thing possible that anybody could do, try to remember, be compassionate, be compassionate. You don't know what's behind their door. I want to thank you for listening. It's not been a terribly happy uh, evening together, um, but we'll be back next week, and I'll see you again. Thanks for listening. From morning... Good morning.
0: Thank you again for joining Rabbi Mel Glazer for From Morning to Morning. Please tune in again next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're wishing you strength and hope in the next week.